Shut up and sit down. The greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance. It is the illusion of knowledge. Rest in peace, Stephen Hawkins, who we lost today at the astonishing age of 76. Um, a visionary physicist and, you know, just a, a guy that helped bring science into the mainstream, you know. Um, he wasn't expected to live kind of past 25 and, you know, here he is, you know, leaving us today, uh, this morning at, uh, at the age of 76 and, you know, for the science community and for the world at large, it is, it is a loss for sure. Um, we need to stop worshiping false idols and hold the actual savants and the and the incredibly gifted individuals that we have spattered across the world in a much higher regard and give them the respect that they're, 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 they're that they are due. Um, obviously, he was world renowned and respected to the stars and back by the science community. Um, outside of that. I bet there's a lot of people 20 and under that if you ask who Stephen Hawkins is, they'd probably say, isn't it the guy with the weird voice that appeared in the Big Bang Theory? And that's a shame. Whilst everybody in the world could give you a detailed history about Kim Kardashian's list of flings and husbands, Sad, sad times, sad times, but his contribution outlasts his physical body and he'll be missed for sure. Um, if you haven't read or tried to read A Brief History of Time, give it a go. Uh, he did release a I, I say dumbed down version very, very loosely, a briefer history of time uh, a few years afterwards. Uh, both are available and if you fancy challenging yourself, pick, uh, pick a copy of either of those up for your reading or download them on your Kindle or what have you, Audible, and give them a listen. <laughs> if you haven't got more questions in the first five minutes than you do a relative understanding of what the hell he's talking about. Keep listening, keep reading. Um, but it's very highbrow stuff. Anyways, rest in peace, Professor Stephen Hawking, the theoretical physicist, cosmologist, author, and director of research at the Center for Theoretical Cosmology within the University of Cambridge. You did, you did a good job and you left you left it a better place than you found it. So congratulations on that. Episode 18, guys, of The Quiet Part Loud. I'm your host, Daryl. And happy to be here as always. It is looking more and more like springtime in London every day. 
and we've got some spattered clouds, but for the most part, a lovely blue sky. The sun's out and it's starting to warm up a little bit. So we're happy about that. Lots to talk about, guys. Lots to talk about. Um, you know, there's, as I said before, there's never a dull moment, which, which, which makes, you know, doing a podcast so much fun. I, I literally think I could do one of these every single day. I enjoy it. It makes me angry. It makes me sad. It makes me happy. It makes me laugh. Um, I'm really enjoying it. And anybody out there that is supporting the show, we love you. Thank you. Uh, continue listening. We're going to continue doing it and continue getting better every time we do. So what's been going on since the last time we spoke? <laughs> what hasn't been going on since the last time we spoke? Um, I just got done watching something. I want to give a, a, a quick shout out because not only is it a great example of of this medium, but just a great under, it's just a great example of, of, uh, of, of what we can do when we work together. Um, and if you don't know, if you haven't seen, haven't listened or don't watch, um, the Joe Rogan podcast, I, I am an avid listener of it. And I think it's a great model for how discussions in media should be had. And he just did an episode with Yoel Romero. And for anybody that doesn't know who Yoel Romero is, he is a middleweight uh, title contender in the UFC. He is an absolute savage of an athlete. He is controversial at times, uh, gifted always, and scary 100% of the time. Um, bit of a loose cannon, very eccentric. Um, He's a he's a Cuban-based uh, wrestling first fighter, and I think he's got one loss, uh, which is to the current champion Robert Whitaker, who he's fighting again in June uh, after he knocked out Luke Rockhold and then gave him a kiss. Um, but. Point being is, I just got finished listening to the episode. It's two and a half hours long. And I just want to say, I don't know if they'll ever hear this, um, but Joey Diaz, uh, who is a comedian friend of Joe Rogan, if you don't know, check him out. He's a savage. He's hilarious. Um, Joey Diaz had Joel Romero on his podcast, The Church and What's Happening Now. And in the lead up to that podcast, Joey appeared on Joe Rogan show and they were talking about setting up a podcast with Yoel Romero on the Joe Rogan show. And because Yoel uh, speaks very broken English, have Joey Diaz translate it. Now, if you've ever, ever seen interviews uh, that are translated, generally they're, they're pretty terrible. They're a bit clunky. There's no real flow, and not only that, but they're you know they're not very long. You don't get much detail out of them. This was an example of how collaboration just collaboration, patience, listening, but also the power of 
podcasting and long form content because you can get this episode in two ways, an audio and a video version. And I've started listening, I started listening to the show on audio only and it was good, but it was a little tough. Um, because with something like this, you need mannerisms, you need, you need to see what people are, are doing with their face, doing with their hands, how the pauses are being broken. Um, you know, there's a lot of idiosyncrasies around it. So I watched it on video and I have to say that just in terms of, you know, a testimony for, like I say, collaboration, patience, listening, uh, long form content in general, the ability to have somebody there like Joe Diaz, who's hilarious, um, but is also fluid in Spanish and, and can and can translate in a way that's not rigid. It's it's smooth. It was it just flowed so naturally. It, it was just a real testament to the power of not only those three guys there um, on the show, which I I hold my hands up to and just say you know this is what we're aspiring to to get to this sort of level with the podcast, but in terms of allowing that translation to happen in a space of time that may take three minutes to get out of two sentence, uh, get out two sentences. It made all the difference in the world because we heard some shit about Yoel Romero on the show. Um, you know, a Cuban refugee who had to go to Germany in a wrestling competition and then make his way to America after living in Germany for six years, you know, fighting to get into America finally did it. He circumvented the, the, the dangers of, you know, the raft and the boat trip, uh, that 90 mile, uh, that 90 mile voyage that so many of them take, you know, he did his in a different way, but the struggle not, nonetheless, and to hear about some of the things that they had to go through and, you know, again, just allowing that process to take place and to happen so naturally and so fluently was just, like I said, an amazing testament to what can happen when you have good collaboration, great listeners, patience, and the time in which to express what you want to express. And that can only done, be done in long form content. That can only be done with things like the medium of podcasting. And, and in my opinion, guys, this is where media is now. This is where media has to go. Uh, because if you want to disseminate any information, if you want to understand nuance and context and allow for allow for critical thinking, debate and reason to shine through in a time when we're so messy with everything in terms of how we communicate with each other, the echo chambers that we end up falling in, you know, the, the fact that, you know, we just put a random thing out with no explanation, no context, no citation, no nothing. Podcasting and long, long form content is, you know, I hate to be dramatic about it, but it's here to save us. You know, we need to understand nuance. That's what's missing in, in a lot of the divisiveness that's happening. We're not talking about nuance. We just make these statements. We make these claims, these, these accusations, these fit, you know, one size fits all blanket sweeping declarations without any nuance from either side and we get lost in it and then we get stuck and rather than pushing forward to a solution to mending and finding reason we turn around and walk the other way and say fuck it we're going to split this canyon even wider you stay in yours i'm going to stay in mine and fuck you let's see who wins
podcasting addresses that in so many ways. And that's exactly why I wanted to do this uh, in the first place. So I'm hoping that comes through. Um, if you guys haven't heard that episode, go and check it out. It's a little difficult and it's a little, <coughs> it's a little tough in the, in the, in the, uh, in the start, but once it actually gets going, it gets going and it's really good. It's really good. So again, kudos to those guys. You know, Joe Rogan is, is absolutely top of the heap, uh, in terms of the podcasting world. And, uh, I'll take one tenth of Joe's success in the podcasting world and I'll be a very, very happy man. But for now, we're shouting out to everybody that has listened, that is listening, and that continues to support. We've submitted to iTunes, guys. We're waiting for them to come back. Um, from what I've seen online, this can be a three-minute process or a three-week process. And as I submitted the application or the, the RSS feed to iTunes five days ago, we're probably on the outside of that number. Uh, so I'll let you guys know as soon as it's up, I'll blast out links across Facebook and across Twitter so you can um, obviously sign up, uh, download the app if you haven't got it, uh, subscribe to the podcast, download the episodes, engage, like, comment, rate, you know, all that good stuff is gonna help us get found. Um, when they do, if they do give us a passing grade on the podcast submission and actually put us live. But as soon as I know, you guys will know, um, and then we'll, we'll make it so everybody, um, everybody else is available or everything is, uh, it's available to everyone everywhere. Um, waiting on Stitcher, I think it is as well, or tune in. Uh, there was a problem with one of those and I'm waiting for confirmation back on the other one. So again, anytime something new comes available, I'll let you guys know. And, uh, that just gives you more options, more options to listen, more convenience. And that's what we're all about. So moving on, what else have we got? Well, if you guys don't know, um, or didn't listen to the last podcast where I was talking about the legalization of, uh, weed. Uh, I just want to let you know that this little poor six-year-old boy um, who they call Alfie Dingley still has not been granted a license by any of the, uh, by the government to help with his epilepsy. And as we detailed in the last show, it's a severe form of epilepsy that affects like one in 30,000 people um, where he'll go for a string of days uh, or a string of weeks without any attacks. But when they come, they come like a thunderstorm from hell and he can have 30 seizures in a row. Um, you know, just bang, 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 like one after another. And it's so severe that he's hospitalized every time it happens. And when he went to Amsterdam, because all of the other treatments that he was given access to in the UK didn't help, didn't work, his mom decided to look elsewhere. His family decided to seek alternatives. Um, and found a treatment in Amsterdam that included CBD oil. And Alfie went for a period of 24 days with zero seizures, zero epileptic fits, before having to come back to the UK, only to be refused by his own government, something that has been proven to work wonders on this poor kid. He's six, by the way. 
and the government's like, nope, we're not, you know, we're not going to address this or we're not going to grant this. So he's going to have to suffer until we can get around to it or whatever their, whatever their reasoning is or the response is, it doesn't matter other than if they say, yes, he can have it because he's ill and this helps him, right? That's duty of care. And that's one of the main things that a government should handle for its citizens, a duty of care, right? It's not like he's, he's asking to have bleach injected into his fucking eyeballs. He's asking to be treated with something that has proven to work to cure his seizures or at least to keep them at bay for an extended period of time which improves his quality of life and allows him to have a normal or some increased semblance of a normal existence that a six-year-old should have, right? So the government is not doing anything about this and we have to put them on blast. And again, they're going to be tagged in this. Theresa May is going to be tagged in this while she's making futile attempts at being a tough guy with Vladimir Putin. And we'll get to that in a minute. But all of this is happening. This little boy is suffering. And it's estimated that around a million people in the UK, by the way, uh, use weed for medical only purposes. And maybe some of you are out there like, yeah, sure they do. Yeah, sure they do. No, no, no. We're way past this. <laughs> We're way past this. There are numerous, numerous ailments that cannabis can be an effective um, help with right? An effective uh, medicine for. But just for a second, keeping in mind that, a, that it's estimated that a million people have to go to the streets to get weed to smoke or to bake or to however they choose to ingest it. Um, they have to do that illegally uh, for medicinal reasons, right? All whilst the UK has surpassed Canada in volume distributed of medical marijuana. So the UK is the biggest uh, producer and distributor of medical cannabis whilst refusing to offer that same service that they make money off of with other countries to their own citizens. And I know I'm rehashing a lot of points or some of the points that I covered in my last show, but I am throwing my hat into this conversation now uh, because as I just mentioned, we are way past you being able to say statements such as um, there is no therapeutic value in cannabis. And that is a quote taken from an MP uh, who is now a junior uh, home office minister, Victoria Atkins, right? So this is what she said about drug regulation in parliament July of last year, and I'm getting this off the Clear UK website, right? So if you haven't if you haven't been to Clear UK, it's worth checking out if you have any interest in seeing um, cannabis become regulated and legalized for medical and then recreational use in the UK in the future. If you have a if you have a vested interest, or if you have just a human interest in the fact that stop telling me what I can do, I know weed is not harmful. Leave me alone. That should not be a penalty uh, or a criminal offense, something you can be penalized for. If you have any interest in that, then you need to go to clear uh, www.clear-uk.org. 
and just check it out, right? But going back to it, right, this Victoria Atkins MP, who is a junior home minister, and one of her responsibilities is drug policy. She's spoken out, and I'm taking this from the CLEAR website, against any form of legalization or even regulation other than what it is now in the UK. So I should say she's not in favor of legalization or even deregulation. She maintains the government's line, and again, I'm taking this from the CLEAR website, that there is no therapeutic value in cannabis. Now, in Parliament in 2017, she said, quote, we are talking about gun-toting criminals who think nothing of shooting each other and the people who carry their drugs for them. What on earth does my honorable friend think their reaction will be to the idea of drugs being regulated? Does he really think that these awful people are suddenly going to become law-abiding citizens? So you can see how she thinks, right? How Victoria Atkins MP how Victoria Atkins thinks about anybody that smokes weed or, you know, currently uh, distributes cannabis. She thinks of them as, gun, well, from the quote, gun-toting criminals who think nothing of shooting each other and the people who carry their drugs for them. Which is hilarious, Right? Because a, general, a gentleman called Paul Kenward, a, a gentleman named Paul Kenward is the managing director of British Sugar, and they grow cannabis under contract for GW Pharmaceuticals. And the reason that they do that is for production of a, uh, of a product called Epidiolo, uh, Epid, Epidiolex, Epidiolex. GW Pharmaceuticals produces Epidiolex, which is their epilepsy medicine, which is understood to be 98% CBD or cannabidiol. Right? So Victoria Atkins, who's an MP who is starchly against any legislation that would uh, increase availability to the public for medicinal or recreational use of cannabis in this country. She's vehemently against it, but her husband is the MD of a company that produces a product for epilepsy, which is 98% cannabis or CBD, right? Do we see any hypocrisy here at all? And how is this not on Sky News? or the BBC. We've got a six-year-old little boy that's suffering and we can put his mom that makes a claim on, you know, Good Morning America or, or, or a plea for help and that's a seven-second soundbite. This should be front and center on the BBC. This is hypocrisy in the government. Victoria Atkins has an absolute conflict of interest here. Because as these guys continue to produce their CBD medicine for epilepsy, GW Pharmaceuticals, they're going to continue to have um, uh, at least a head start, right? But it's not 
yet licensed as medicine, but it's with the FDA for approval, and it's for the uh, the e um, the EMA, the European uh, Medicines Agency, for approval under both. But it's really it's really weird to me because there's no way that this product can be sold to the British public because the Home Office says it only issues licenses for research purposes. And then on the website here, it says only after the medicine has received a marketing authorization, um, um, yeah, marketing authorization, could it be legally grown for commercial purposes. Which is really weird to me. Because her husband is effectively a producer of, right, of, of cannabis, cannabis-based medicine. And it would have been her department that would have been giving the licenses for them to be producing this product, which is 98% cannabis-derived, being treated or being used to treat epilepsy, which is now under two uh, confirmation processes in Europe and in America. But her statement on the fact of those who distribute cannabis are that they're gun-toting criminals. So people like her, people like Amber Rudd, uh, Theresa May, not only, not only are they refusing to deal with the problem like Alfie, but they're actually running a cannabis business already because we distribute medical cannabis more than any other country in the world, but we just refuse to let our own citizens have it. Not acceptable. It's not acceptable. So it's saying UK citizens are denied any access to medical cannabis at all except in the form of another GW pharmaceuticals products known as Sativex. Sativa, right? Sativex. However, in practice, Sativex or Sativex is virtually impossible to obtain. It is believed, this is the, yeah, this is again, it's believed that about a million UK citizens use cannabis illegally for medical purposes, right? They've had to actually put at the bottom of this article, no, this is not a spoof article. This story is so incredible and outrageous that you really couldn't make it up. Yes, there's a picture of uh, Paul Kenward and they've actually photoshopped it in where he's like in a field of weed and shit like that. Um, but all the facts in this are, um, are completely verifiable and there's a video in this article that has Victoria Atkins in discussion with Ken Sabat who apparently is a massive anti-cannabis campaigner uh, fighting uh, for a complete reversal on all the weed laws in America so in essence these two are massive pieces of shit but Victoria Atkins is that her name? Yeah, Victoria Atkins. She's a massive hypocrite because she's fucking married to the guy that's running the production of an epilepsy medicine based around cannabis and CBD oil. So what the fuck? Can we start calling these people out, please? Right? Let's um let's start finding where is she on Twitter, Victoria Atkins. Let's see if I can find her real quick. Cuz this is bullshit, you know? Like I said, we're way past this garbage now. 
It's like, if you want to smoke weed to get high, go ahead. And if you want to smoke weed because you got no appetite or you find it hard to sleep at night, fucking go ahead. It's up to you. Right? They seem to think that if you make it legal, it's going to increase this massive usage. And in terms of like, in terms of like crack or cocaine or heroin or meth or whatever. Okay, I want to deregulate it so it's not a criminal offense. Like they should be sent to treatment, right? Because let's be honest, nobody's doing meth for medical reasons, right? I mean, you could say that people who do Adderall are effective, effectively doing methamphetamines because in, in, in essence, they kind of are, but you know what I mean. They're not sitting there smoking meth uh, you know, out of little crack pipes and shit like that. There is within reason, there are obviously regulations that are needed and I'm all for regulations in terms of the drugs. Um, but I just think we're way past this garbage bullshit misinformation that cannabis doesn't have any therapeutic use because it's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. And anybody that thinks like that, to me, this is like a, this is not, this is like not supporting gay marriage, basically. It's like we're way past this. If you don't, if you're not up to speed with this shit by now, you're living in the 1950s and you need to take a fucking hike. Because we're way past this shit now, right? There is a whole subculture that I wasn't even aware of that I'm so glad I found of people fighting this battle, and I'm gonna bring them all into this conversation eventually, uh, you know, one by one, because. It's going to be a real rude awakening when the 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 people who have their minds stuck in the 1950s about this subject realize who these people are, realize who the advocates of uh, legalizing medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. They're going to they're going to understand who these people are because they're not the idiots who are sitting eating Oreo cookies on their uh, on their sofa playing video games for 12 hours a day. I'm sure some of those type of characters are massive stoners as well. But just like anything, you cannot throw a blanket statement at this or put a blanket picture of, you know, a generic kind of image of the people you think are involved in this. It's not that. This is not the flower power age. We're way past that. And basically at this point, you're infringing on people's human rights and freedom of choice by holding this shit as a, as a harmful drug that deserves criminal penalties associated with it. Get the fuck out of here with that nonsense. We're way past that. And if you can't enter into an intelligent debate, if your only retort to should cannabis be legal for you to say, nope, because the people that are dealing it are gun-toting criminals that don't give a shit about shooting each other. And that there is no therapy. You know who thinks there's no therapeutic use to marijuana? People who have never smoked it. Or people who have a vested interest in keeping their husband as a monopoly player in the production of it when it comes to the medical regulation. If we do end up going down that road, who do you think is going to have a massive head start in the production and licensing of CBD or marijuana-based medicine? GW Pharmaceuticals. And one of the companies that are working with them is British Sugar. 
right? He's got a contract from GW Pharmaceuticals and the MD of that company just so happens to be this woman's husband. So he's cool, cracking on with that. You know, them as a government are cool being the biggest supplier to the international market for medical ca uh, medical cannabis around the world. But people in England, including Alfie, go fuck yourself, right? Alfie Dingley, little six-year-old boy. Let's keep him in mind here. Because every day this goes by and we pop a podcast out once every, what, three days, four days, one every week, something like that. You know, it's a bit sporadic at the moment, but we're working on it. Every time we do this and we mention this, there's been a period of days where this little boy's been suffering for no reason. And for Victoria Atkins to sit there and make off the cuff, there's no therapeutic use, off the cuff statements, like there's no therapeutic use or that all we're talking about is gun-toting criminals, you're unfit for your position and you need to get the fuck out. You need to hit the bricks. We don't need people like you around anymore. And I don't know what your party affiliation is. I do know that I had about 15 labor um, hopefuls walking up and down my street, knocking at my door. I've already sp spoken to, uh, what's his name, Matthew Pennyhook or Pennycook or something like that, who is the MP... Uh, of Greenwich, he's part of the Labour Party, not happy with his response either because it was clearly something that was pre-written. There was no thought put into it. It was basically just like, yeah, maybe we're willing to, I need somebody to take a definitive stance on this and is a policymaker. And we need to start this fight in earnest because it's bullshit now and we need people to speak out about it. So maybe I'm a little bit late to the party in terms of the under, underground kind of subculture that is going on that's, you know, kind of posing a fight and, and things like this. Guys out there, I want to amplify your voice. Hit me on Twitter or message me on Facebook and let me know if you want to get involved. And if you guys want to have a conversation, you want to sit down and do a round table about this, we can plot the agenda, we can plot the conversation and, uh, and we can use some powers of persuasion with certain media organizations to, uh, to get some cameras on this. I don't think that'd be very hard at all. In fact, I think there's a number of media companies out there, independent uh, media companies that would be up for something like this. So if you're interested, quiet part loud on Twitter. I'll be tweeting this episode out. I'll be tagging in uh, certain individuals. <coughs> on uh, on on what I consider to be the right side of this conversation and also those on the wrong side of the conversation. So anybody who wants to get involved or anybody that will be faced with having to be involved in this conversation, there'll be no excuse for you not having been pre-warned. So again, anybody on the underground movement, any of the cannabis clubs out there, any of the reform kind of, you know, uh, let's call them freedom fighters out there, get in touch. Love to hear from you guys. All right. So uh, we're going to leave it there on the cannabis subject uh, for the moment. But uh, we're not done with that conversation. And we're only getting warmed up, strapping on the boots and lacing them up uh, in terms of the fight for 
getting this product recognized and this drug recognized uh, at face value and not through rhetoric and thinking that belongs in a different decade and a different century. Um, yeah, let's let's come to our senses on this. Okay? So, what else has been going on? Be safe, Alfie, by the way. Um, hope you're doing well, pal. What else is going on? Oh, yeah. We haven't even touched America yet. So... I mean, right, so in one week, Donald Trump has been told he can't have tanks at his parade, has seen his head of education not know how schools in her own state are doing, and has seen his secretary of state sacked. Not only that, but we've had the head of ICE come out and resign because he can't tell lies in public for these guys anymore. I mean, can we just go through it for a sec? Can we just go through and watch the continued meltdown of America and its institutions right before our very eyes? We'll get onto ours. Here in the UK. But just for a second, can we take a moment can we take a moment? Can we take a moment to say that if you still support this guy, the days of, because I was always, I was kind of like, at the beginning of this thing, I was like, we can't, we can't call Trump, people who voted for Trump idiots. Because it goes back to that thing I said earlier, right? About nuance and context. We don't know what someone's reason for voting for Donald Trump were. We know some of the reasons why people would vote for a guy like Donald Trump, but we don't know all of the reasons. And for that fact being true, you have to reserve judgment on the fact that, well, let, let's, let, let's see if, if those reasons come to fruition. And if you listen to Trump, you'll think that everything is hunky-dory. You know, but the fact remains that 60% of Americans have less than $500 in their bank. That is a terrifying thing. And that could be one of the reasons why his rhetoric worked on folks. You know, among others, people didn't want, you know, they call it Obama 2.0 in Hillary, but there could be any, any number of reasons. So you have to reserve judgment, right? You can't make blanket statements like, oh, Trump supporters are retards or racists or, you know, white supremacists or, you know, the uneducated, they're idiot, they're stupid. You know, you kind of have to reserve judgment, right? Because you don't know the nuance of someone else's situation. That being said, I think enough time has passed, don't you? 
how can you still stand by this? How can you still stand by this guy in terms of how he conducts himself, his policies, or lack thereof, his blatant disregard for fact, his complete unhinged personality, You can't, with a sensible mind, tell me that this guy is doing a good job, is good for the internal relations of your country, or the external um, relationships that your country has with others. Again, we're past this. This guy is a menace. This guy's a lunatic. And just to give you some understanding about kind of how fragmented the U.S. is or the U.S. government is right now. I just want to read you a couple of numbers very, very quickly because the Washington Post has this thing where they track how many key key positions Trump has uh, filled so far. And as of Yesterday, as of yesterday morning, there were 640, 640 key positions requiring confirmation in the Senate. So, with him firing Rex Tillerson yesterday because they disagreed on Iran or something, you know, They have 216 positions that have zero nominees. Nobody even being considered for them. Current vacancies in the American government include an ambassador to South Korea, kind of important given you know, what's been going on in the news recently. A chief financial officer, an undersecretary of civilian security, democracy, and human rights, and also an undersecretary of economic growth, energy, and environment, just to name a couple. So you're talking about key positions in both domestic and foreign policy that he's just like, meh, can't do it. Not not interested. And people out there think this is a functioning government. To me, it's just... It's just ludicrous. And I think at this point in time, if you still support this guy, then there is a certain amount of ridicu- ridicule that probably, you know, needs to come your way. Although I'm not advocating for that because again, we have to converse and we have to bring people into the middle and we have to find common ground rather than just, you know, making fun of and ridiculing. But I mean, fucking hell. How can you stand by? How have you not just removed any, any semblance of support from this guy? I I just don't know. Um, 
so he's fired this guy. And apparently there's another guy in the running uh, who's going to be appointed. And if I look, that is Michael Pompeo. So he serves as chief foreign policy advisor, foreign policy coordinator, senior negotiator, and senior cabinet officer, leads and leads the department. So we will see. But it's in shambles. It's in shambles. And I just don't see how anybody can stick by this guy now. You watch what happens to the tax cuts. You watch what happens to the trade deals and the tariffs he's imposing on, on steel and aluminum. You know, and then we're like, oh, yeah, let's vote for Brexit. Let's get us out of the EU. Well, don't worry. America's our good friend. Then we'll always have their back. <laughs> there was a report out that they could lay tariffs on flights coming in uh, to America. I mean, talk about being on an island, right? But uh, yeah, Theresa May for you, right? Steadfast in removing us from Europe. Cozying up to America only to have this fucking slob basically just turn around and say, yeah, fuck you. Sarah Huckabee Sanders won't stand with us in terms of the claim that Theresa made, uh, Theresa May made about the Russian, um, the Russian spy being poisoned. Uh, she's basically come out and said, yeah, it was Russia. Vladimir Putin's basically laughing on TV saying, do the investigation, yeah, and then come talk to us. Like he gives a fuck what she's got to say. And then there has to be a, a conclusive uh, what, what, I don't know exactly what she called it, but con a concrete response or a confident response that we're happy with or else, or else what? <laughs> or else what? That's what Vladimir Putin's saying. What the fuck are you going to do? What's your name? Teresa? Fuck you, Teresa May. That's what he's saying. He doesn't give a shit. He's basically put a t helped put a TV star in the White House, assassinates people on foreign soil whenever the fuck he wants to, runs a state-sponsored doping uh, organization uh, system for uh, for the Olympic team in Russia. He doesn't give a shit. He's like a king in Russia. Theresa May standing up and making bold threats. She can barely manage her own party. I just think it's hilarious. 
that someone can be so shit at their job yet retain it. It's just crazy to me. But I think the the conservative party are in are in trouble. Again, I just think it's a shift in tide consciousness. You have to be you have to be sharper. People can see through your bullshit. And it's a very very awkward look when she stands up and tries to try to be the tough guy. I mean, he must, Putin must just be laughing. He's probably on the phone with Trump saying, did you hear that shit? <laughs> Trump's like, don't worry. It's going to cost him an arm and a leg to trade with Europe if they ever get that shit storm sorted out. And, uh, and I'm going to charge him extra just to fly to the country. So, um... Yeah, see how they get on. By the way, do you want to come to Mar-a-Lago? Stormy Daniels is coming down, and I think she's forgiven me. I mean, we got a guy in the White House who was a TV star that's wrapped up in a scandal of, about paying off a porn star. Fuck me. Anyways, what the fuck else is going on? Oh yeah, Betsy DeVos, his head of education. She doesn't know what the fuck is going on in her own district, in her own state. If you haven't seen that interview, whew. And she's just asked Trump if she, if she can head up a task force about, um, uh, about like figuring out a solution as school shootings. And she's and the interviewer was like, "Do you think uh, do you think teachers should be armed?" She's like, "Well, pff, that's going to be kind of a local decision, you know. Let the states figure that one out. So, you know, I'm going to be ahead of this thing, but my recommendation is, nah, you decide." And in the same breath, says, "I can't imagine my first grade teacher at my local school, like her kids or her grandkids' school, carrying uh, carrying a gun." No shit. Right? Because they're trained with the skill of teaching six-year-olds. Not warning off psychopaths with automatic weapons. But the conversation was around investment in schools and, and taking schools out of are taking money out of schools that aren't performing well and funneling them into schools that are doing well and different types of schools and things like that. And she was asked a very simple question. How's that been working since you guys implemented it? And she didn't know. And then she went on to say that she purposely doesn't visit schools um, that aren't doing well. When the interviewer replied, well, maybe you should, her insightful response was well maybe I should I mean she's going to figure out gun violence is she? Okay, alright good luck with that she's a billionaire her family's name is on hospitals and libraries but she's solely gotten her, gotten her position because of that money one only has to listen to her for 30 seconds to understand it has nothing to do with her skill set.
Fact. Just give it a listen. You know, she's, um, I don't think she's like one of these horribly disgusting people. I think she's just doing it to, to further, to further her family's position. Trump's entire inner circle is treating this as a business venture for future successes. They don't give a fuck what happens to you. They're setting themselves up. That's what all the deregulations are for. And the reduction of like um, state lands and things like that. Anyways, watch that interview if you haven't. It's hilarious. Speaking of hilarious, well, it's not really hilarious. It's actually kind of gross. Um, like Hillary Clinton was somewhere. I don't remember where she was. Um, I can't remember where she was. <coughs> anyway, she was at some fucking speaking engagement where she gets a quarter million, you know, for uh, for a half an hour speech. But she effectively said that, and again, this goes towards the stuff that I have to that I said we have to we have to not do this, right? We have to resist the urge to blanket statement, folks, because we don't know nuance. And we don't know everybody's situation individually, so we can't call them out as a group. You have to know nuance and context. But during, uh, she was in India. She effectively called people who voted for him backwards. I'm gonna play a video for you here. I hope this works. I've never done this on the podcast before. Um, not that it's like some technological wave. Um, I'm just going to play a video from a website and hope that the audio picks up well enough that it doesn't sound like shit when you guys listen to it. But this is Hillary Clinton speaking at the engagement at a, about those folks who voted for Donald Trump. And this is precisely why she didn't win and precisely what we need to avoid in the future. If you look at the map of the United States, there's all that red in the middle where Trump won. I win the coasts, I win, you know, Illinois, Minnesota, places like that. But what the map doesn't show you is that I won the places that represent two thirds of America's gross domestic product. So I won the places that are optimistic, diverse, dynamic, moving forward, and his whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backwards. You know, you didn't like black people getting rights. You don't like women, you know, getting jobs. You don't want to, you know, see that Indian American succeeding more than you are. Whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. So in a nutshell, she's just said he won the votes of the people who are Racist rednecks. You can't do that. And who are you? I won this. I won that. I won this. I won that. 
you lost. You got more popular votes. Okay, great. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately, and maybe it should. But then you run the risk of Kim Kardashian being president. The voting system is broken, no doubt. For a whole range of reasons. Voter suppression, location, etc., etc. But for you to come out and make a blanket bowl of a statement like that, fucking gross. Fucking gross. You lost because you're a fucking, you're a liar. You're a liar and, I mean, if you dig a little deeper, the word war criminal is not, you know, not too far behind you. If you want a good book, Christopher Hitchens, The Triangulation of the Clintons, I believe it is. Let me just check it out real quick. Give you the exact title. Some of you out there are probably saying it already, and I should know it off the top of my head. It's called No One Left to Lie To, The Triangulations of William Jefferson Clinton. It's mostly about Bill, but Hillary's in there too. Definitely, definitely worth a read. As is The Trial of Henry Kissinger, as is God Is Not Great, as is Why Orwell Matters, as is Morality or Mortality, uh, arguably fucking Hitch 22. Just search Christopher Hitchens and have fun. Good Lord. What a guy. I wish he was around today. Help us wade through some of this bullshit because his clarity of mind, even though he was uh, a savage pisshead, was uh, was a thing of beauty. But uh, yeah, there you go. Nobody wants Hillary Clinton president. Nobody wants anybody near Hillary Clinton. The DNC... The DNC, the leaders of the DNC must have really had a Motilden moment when the election was all over. You know, they must have been in the back like, <laughs> we gave you a chance to be a real politician and you blew it. You blew it. You know, <laughs> anybody that's seen Copland out there, um, she blew it. True Motilden style. You blew it. First female president carrying on the Clinton name and you lost to a TV star because you're a fucking liar, you're a you're a zombie, and your eyes are dead. And you may have spent your whole life in public service and your whole life campaigning for this and campaigning for that. But you lied, you're corrupt, and people didn't want it, didn't want it. You blew it. We gave you the chance to be a real politician and you blew it, you blew it. You lost to Donald Trump.
And now you're crying and you're whining and you're whinging and it's a terrible look. It's a terrible, terrible look. So here we are and, you know, that side of the aisle have zero viable candidates that's, you know, that have cropped up or reached the media. As far as I've seen, anyhow, maybe I'm just off, but imagine, imagine if they don't sort out their shit. Whew. It's going to be an interesting one. That's for sure. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where everything goes. The um, the GOP have called a halt to their investigation. The Democrats have come out saying, you know, this is premature. They've basically squashed uh, the right to have justice done. I don't I haven't looked into the inter kind of the ins and outs of it yet. Um, but it's just a massive clusterfuck, honestly, isn't it? Like all politics, you know, at this point in time. Um, so. I guess just watch this space. Let's see what happens. Fuck. I mean, it doesn't seem like Americans are taking any real, real action. The citizenship or the citizenry of America doesn't seem to be taking any real action. Yeah, you've got me too. And, you know, uh, you know, movements like this. But let's be honest. If they wanted real change, they could do it. And they don't because they're complacent. They're lazy or they're all just too wrapped up in their own lives to give a shit and they're overwhelmed by the media and it's all just too gross to pay attention to so they just don't. Okay. Well then let's see what comes. You got Boston Dynamics creating robots that are like the Velociraptor in Jurassic Park, holding doors open and shit, figuring out problems. Um, you know, their companion does backflips off of tables and push-ups and sweats to cool itself, you know. Um, and then Google bans any advertising on cryptocurrency. So you can't advertise Bitcoin or anything to do with crypt uh, cryptocurrency on Google anymore. They put a halt to it. couple potential reasons. One, they see it for the current infantile bullshit that it is because it's nothing. It's perceived value commodity trading. If that's even a thing, I don't know. But if you understand what I just said, you can kind of understand what the bit market is or the, the cryptocurrency market, right? It's, it's something that's made up that a whole, like, a bunch of people were like, oh, there's a value in this. And then a whole bunch of people were like, oh, maybe there's a value in this. And then the value went up, as it tends to do in those scenarios. But it's perceived value because it's value based on what? Can't buy anything with it. And people say, oh, I traveled around the world on it. Okay, cool. You must be a very studious, very diligent kind of person. But for the everyday individual, it is not a viable option. And it's not a viable mechanic in terms of running any relationship with commerce whatsoever for the normal individual. And if you want to test this experiment, do something. Very, very, very quickly, you can go and you can Google uh, vendors that use Bitcoin. 
and it'll bring you up a list like, you know, it'll bring you up a whole bunch of sites, but one of them has a list of, I think like the top 50 vendors or 50 vendors or 200 vendors or something like that. And I had a look at that list and on that list was Expedia. And I went to Expedia to try to book a holiday and I did. And then I tried to pay with Bitcoin and there's no option. But they're, per, they're an authorized vendor. Do you see what I mean? Perceived value. I can't use my Bitcoin in that situation. And that's not even an everyday situation. Can I buy my groceries online and pay with it uh, with, with Bitcoin? You know, can I transact on the world's biggest commerce platforms with Bitcoin? I don't think so. Maybe, maybe you can. I, I haven't looked at Amazon, um, potentially the ones in China, but what good, what good does that do us? We're not on WeChat. You know, doesn't really function that way. Not only that, but governments like South Korea and, you know, others have said, nope, we're not having that. Do I think cryptocurrency will be adopted? Yeah, in some form, in some form or another. I don't think it's going to be in the current iteration because the current the current iteration is just so unsecure, so unstable, so ripe to be picked and plucked and hacked. And I mean, I invested in Bitcoin seven years ago, six years ago, something like that. And I was part of the 400 million, I believe it was, that was taken from uh, mt.gox, uh, which was one of the big exchanges when cryptocurrency first kind of launched. And, you know, I lost a lot on that. Not a lot because the investment was, you know, something I could play with. But the perceived value of what I had earned in the first kind of couple of weeks, that was gone. It wasn't the money I invested. I could afford to lose that money. That's why I invested it. It was the perceived value that I lost that made me a bit like, oh, a bit, a bit sick, you know? And that's all it is, is perceived values. It's, it's perceived value commodity trading. I'm gonna give you something that really I can't do anything with, but I think it's gonna be worth something and you're willing to pay for it and vice versa. Kind of thing, right? Because you can't do things with it. It's not backed by anything. It's not, you know, and, and it's, I guess in a, to a similar extent, the same argument could be made for the greenback, but you kind of get where I'm going with this is that there is nothing out there that makes it valuable other than the perception that it's valuable. So again, when you get this kind of an industry, you get all the cowboys that come along with it. There's hacks of these exchanges, you know, near damn weekly. The value of it is tumbling, has been tumbling. I think the recent drop was a thousand on its market value. And now Google has said, no, 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 no more. So they could see it for the joke kind of currency commodity that it is now, or perhaps they're looking to scrap the market as it currently is and introduce something different in the way of cryptocurrency because they're definitely involved in technology, right? I mean, fuck, look at, 
you know, look at how they've restructured an alphabet with their, you know, with their venture arm and, you know, all, all the different components that were Google are now alphabet. And then, you know, there's a whole new flow chart underneath it. Check it out. It's quite interesting if you haven't. Um, alphabet is, is what Google renamed themselves as. Um, and now alphabet is the parent company for everything that Google and its other ventures do. Maybe they're trying to launch their own thing. I don't know. Amazon, I think it was, mentioned something about doing uh, bank accounts not too long ago. All of these big tech companies want to become what WeChat is in China. They want to become your Facebook, your Amazon, your PayPal, um, your Apple, and your Google. Did I say Google already? All in one. That's what they're all trying to do. They want every step of your journey. They want every piece of your data along the way. That's what WeChat is, right? It's an environment where you can uh, do your social networking, your um, financial management, your uh, you know your music downloads and listening, like anything, anything in WeChat you can do. Get your Amazon in there, you know, do all your shopping, etc. That's what all these tech companies are, are looking to do. So maybe Google's doing this with more of a strategic move in mind. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But as of right now, it's another thing that I'm going to probably have to add to our block list um, if it hasn't been done already. In terms of my nine to five job, I mean. But Google have have ceased all of that. That trading is um, as of this morning, I believe, or, or at least it's coming. That's when it was announced. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. I think I think what they call cryptocurrency, digital currency, will definitely be a thing with, you know, with with the kind of age in the age of technology consuming more and more of us every day. It's only natural. I mean, we're we we just seem to be a species drawn towards evolving with technology, right? That's that's kind of industrialization. That's, that's you know, the whole kind of tech bubble that we've seen. That, that's kind of how we are now. You know, wearable technology, textile tech, uh, wearable textiles that are, you know, that are smart textiles. Um, you know, you've got smart shoes. You've got, I mean, if you look at it, I just mentioned the Boston Dynamic Robots, but you, you look at some of the uh, the medical applications of like wearable technology, such as, you know, contact lenses that can help uh, register glucose levels or um, if you want to go a little bit wilder and a little bit more minority report, do that kind of augmented reality that that uh, that you see uh, with some of them. But there are real practical applications for social, medical, you know, any of these facets of life, technology seems to be kind of getting their hands in, you know, kind of sticking their fingers in that pie. Um, there's already a company out there that microchips its employees. So instead of giving them a dongle, they get a chip that goes under the skin in between their thumb and their forefinger and that kind of muscly part there. And they inject an RFID chip 
in there that allows them to like open the doors and access all the different rooms in the in the office building and register in when they're you know <coughs> no thanks you can keep that shit for sure i won't even have an alexa or an amazon echo in my house because i know they're listening and they're, i know they're listening obviously through you know my uh my microphone on my phone and on my laptop and probably through this USB microphone that I got plugged in, etc. But there's just something about that. Apparently the, uh, the Amazon echo was like nefariously laughing at people, uh, last week and Amazon had to release a bug, um, fix on that or something. I don't know, but like, I just don't want that shit inside my house. You know, I've talked about the Roomba and I've talked about this before and I'm not like, I'm not, concerned like I don't really give a shit what the government thinks it knows or doesn't know or can listen except for the fact that it's my civil and human right not to be fucking monitored all the time so if I can negate that by not putting a microphone that I know is always switched on in my house then I'm gonna do that you know some things are unavoidable I have to have a laptop I have to have my phone can't do anything about that but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna invite GCHQ in here and and ask them to set up surveillance on me. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna implement any tools that happen to be in the consumer electronic market that may aid in facilitating that monitoring. That that I'm not gonna do. So, anyways, went a bit of tangent there. I don't even know what the fucking point of that was. Um, Yeah, they want to, they want to, um, they just want to get all your data. They want to know what you're thinking. And as soon as they can put a chip right in your fucking head to listen to your thoughts and read your thoughts and, and use an API to monitor you based on your thoughts and your, you know, this, the symbiosis of your thoughts and, and a community of other individuals around the world so that you can all be mapped with, uh, you know, advertising messages uh, seamlessly into your cerebral cortex, then that will happen too. But there just seems to be a natural evolution towards us integrating with technology. And uh, I don't know if cryptocurrencies will exist in the way that they do now. I think it will be something else. And I hate to say, if you've ever seen that movie Time's Up with Justin Timberlake, probably something like that, right? Like that'd be so fucking weird, but I could see something like that happening. Or we just become robots. Who knows? But uh, Google have joined the fight in blocking cryptocurrencies in their current iteration. And it's quite interesting to see what that's going to do to the market and all those people that invested. Because I've warned a few people as to the volatility in this. And, you know, they seem to know. That that's a that's a risk and it's a kind of a throwaway risk because again you only invest what you can afford to lose in my opinion. <coughs> you know unless you have a well again it, it stands to reason don't invest more than you can lose. So it was a bit of a kind of throwaway investment if it all worked out the way I thought it was going to work out, which is the way it's going now. Uh, it wouldn't hurt that person or those people too much. Um, However, Google taking a stance on it is a big thing, I think. I think it's going to actually resonate quite heavily um, around the market. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Who, who, who am I to call? I'm not a futurist. Um, 
I just give my opinion on shit. Um, I think digital currency will be uh, available. I think it will come around because, I mean, if you would have asked anybody five years before the credit card was invented, if you think you could pay with money, um, except you don't need money, you just need a plastic card that you go, right? Remember those little imprint things with carbon paper on them? People would have thought you were crazy. If you would have told somebody that you could be streaming music just by a file, a digital file, rather than having on one of those big record players with the big horn things attached to it, you know, people would have said, you're fucking, you're, you're an idiot. Lock that person up. So who knows what's to come? And I just think that cryptocurrency or some version of digital currency like that is inevitable. I think it will be implemented differently. I'm not sure how, but I think I think it'll definitely happen. I just don't think it'll happen in the way it is currently. Because I just don't see any long tail in that. I don't I don't see any future in that. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? So those are the rantings of a madman for the week. I'm not sure what else is going on. Uh, and like I said, I don't want to keep you guys a moment longer uh, than I need to. But I think we've covered some good shit today. I think we've had a pretty good one. Um, I'm gonna sign off. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna get on out of here, and I'll see you next time. I don't know when it's gonna be. Uh, I know we've got a couple UFCs coming up. Uh, I need to check the dates on that. Uh, so I'll be sure to do a show on that. But. We'll be back. Like I said, I could probably do one of these every day, but I don't want to oversaturate. But we've covered some good stuff, guys, and I really appreciate you listening. Um, your support, as always, is vital to what we do, and we're going to keep doing it regardless, but you know, having people out there listening means that hopefully the conversation is getting started, the many discussion points that we cover um, on any one episode. But... I appreciate you guys, and thank you so much for listening. It's uh, it's a pleasure as always. Uh, this is The Quiet Part Loud, episode 18, and until next time, guys, all the best.